I do too. And I'm so, by the way, great job, Gabriel, who's now gone, and everybody else. But I appreciate Gabriel coming these weeks and helping us. And his wife right over there, raise your hand. And um, I'm sure they'll be back with us sometime or another. Wasn't that some picture of Heidi? Bless her heart. And I know that she's a doer. She hates laying there, just not able to do anything. But she told me last night on the phone she's getting better quickly. And uh, we're looking forward to having her back. Now, how many of you are aware that we're in a battle? We're in a warfare. The scripture is very clear that we have an unseen, invisible enemy who's very real. And I'm going to talk to you about Jesus' battle with him in the wilderness. And we're going to read the account. This is the third week we've been on this, and the last week. Uh, he was hit, attacked, tempted three times in the wilderness. This is the third temptation that we're going to be reading about. And let's read Matthew 4, verses 8 through 11. It says, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to the Lord Jesus Christ, can you imagine this? All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. How brazen. It's amazing the arrogance of the devil. Then Jesus said to him, let's say it together everybody, away with you Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then I like this, the devil finally gave up and left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you for your truth. I pray for everyone here today fighting that battle, fighting that good fight. And Lord, there are people who need to learn the weaponry that Jesus utilized, need to defeat the enemy in their life. And I pray that today a bolt of truth like lightning will pierce their soul. Illumination from God will come. And you will put that weapon of the sword of the Spirit in our hand. And help us, Lord, to get the victory like you did. Now, will you breathe a prayer today, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. That I will win my battle. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're going to win. And you can be seated. God bless you. Amen. God is good. And our prayers are with our uh, young people. There's 50 of them gone. Uh, including 15 adults who are over helping them. And I've been told by people who have gone and spent a few hours with them and ministered with them that it's going great. And I'm so looking forward to them coming back and sharing with us what God has done on True Love Waits. Lust can't wait. Love can wait without any complaints. Amen? Now, we've been talking the last few weeks about the well-known rumble in the wilderness, or if you want to call it showdown, in the desert between Jesus Christ and Satan. This is not a myth. This is not a fable. It's not a Bible story. But this actually happened in time and space, in history. Jesus Christ, we're told, that went to the river, Jordan, to be baptized of John. And when John baptized him, the Holy Ghost descended upon him. And a voice was heard from heaven, and everybody heard it who was there. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
The Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Having descended upon him like a dove, I shared the first week, that doesn't mean Jesus did not have the Holy Spirit. From the moment he was conceived, he had the Holy Spirit. Jesus never knew a day that he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. All during the hidden years, the first 30 years, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But this Spirit of God coming upon him like a dove was the anointing for his ministry. Now, I don't understand it all, but I do know the Bible says that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And in the wilderness, he was attacked by Satan after fasting 40 days and nights, if you can imagine, 40 days and nights with no food, water at the very most, very supernatural fast. And when he was weak, when he was tired, when he was weary, the devil attacked him, as he always does. He's, he's a cheap opportunist. He never attacks us, in, attacks us in our best day or our strongest moment. He waits for the moment of weakness, the, the opportune moment. And that's when he attacks. When you're weary, when you're tired, when you're discouraged, when you're down, when you're feeling disillusioned, he attacks. And he attacked Jesus on the tail end of this fast with three different kinds of attacks. He attacked him on three fronts. God's provision, God's protection, and we're going to see today God's plan. In the provision attack, turn those stones into bread, Jesus. God's not providing for you. Jesus had to wait on God to provide. That was the attack, his provision. The next time, God's protection. Took him to the pinnacle of the temple, said, jump. God will hold you up. And that was an attack to be presumptuous, to assume something on God. Jesus defeated him. And now today, God's plan. And these three attack points are universal in their scope, in their application. Because if you and I are going to be attacked, it's going to be in one of those three areas. God's provision. Don't wait on God. He's not taking care of you. Take matters into your own hands. That's God's provision. Or he's going to attack you on God's protection. Where is God? You need to do something yourself because God is clearly not protecting you. Or just take a jump and assume that God's going to protect you. And now today God's plan, and I think this last attack was Satan's most desperate, and it was his most telling, and I think it was maybe the most dangerous attack because it attacked God's plan in Jesus' life, and we were all involved in that. God's plan. Now, when I read these three temptations, as in all the Word of God, there are huge, wonderful applications for everybody in this room because we need to watch at how Jesus defeated the devil and what was at the core of these attacks so we can understand them when they come to us. Now, notice that the third temptation begins with the word again. Again. I can almost feel the intensity of the attack, the attack as Satan keeps coming back. Have you ever noticed that? He just kept coming back at Jesus with one tactic, then another, and now a third. Punch, counterpunch, punch, counterpunch. This was Jesus and the devil were in the ring. Satan, turn the stones to bread, punch. Jesus, counterpunch, I will not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Second, punch jumped from the pinnacle of this temple. Jesus counterpunched, you will not tempt the Lord your God. Punch, here he comes again. Tempting Jesus, attacking Jesus with God's plan. Now, it says in the third temptation, Jesus was transported to a high mountain. Isn't it interesting, Satan attacked him in high places. Places we associate with victory. He he attacked him twice in a high place. A high mountain. He was transported. Now, I don't know if this is literal or if he had a, a vision that Satan injected into his mind. Because, you know, the devil will utilize our God-given imaginations to tempt us. From this great height, Satan, as the prince of this world, caused the Lord to envision something. He showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Luke chapter 4, verse 5 says he did it in a moment of time. It was a flash, a camera flash. In an instant, Jesus had this vision. And in this vision, it was a temptation. It was something that appealed or attempted to appeal to something within the Lord. It was a temptation with the enemy using the imagination of the Lord. Now keep in mind that up to now, the devil has tempted him with instant food, turn the stones to bread. Instant fame, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. But now, instant fortune. Those three things he attacks you and I with, food or, or fleshly needs, fame, we all want to be meaningful or important, fortune, we all want money, stuff, things. He attempted, uh, attempted him on the three areas where you and I are, are always attacked. Only Satan as a fallen archangel who seized authority over the world when Adam sinned, we're told, that when Adam bit into that fruit that he gave up his headship over the human race and Satan took it. And only that devil who the Bible calls the prince of this world could offer to Jesus in a flash all of the world's empires and all of their wealth. He said, Lord, you can have it all. Have you ever heard that voice? You can have it all. All of these things were paraded before the mind of the Lord in a moment, in a flash, in an instant. Now, in Christ's day, this would have included Assyria, Babylon, and Persia, the beauty of ancient Greece, the power of imperial Rome. All of these kingdoms, all of this power, all of this wealth, the Lord saw in just a moment of time. And that's how the enemy works in our minds. He'll send an impulse... It's called a fiery dart, and behind the impulse is often an imagination that tries to appeal to our flesh. Now, I know how the devil speaks. And I want to imagine for a minute what Satan might have been saying to the Lord in this temptation. It's not hard to do. Here we go. Ready? I believe this is what the impulse said. All that you see is mine to give to you. Think of how the world so desperately needs you, Jesus. A great king like you. You've lived here for 30 years. You've seen the tears. You've seen the heartache. You've seen the trouble. This world needs a king like you. You are a king, and all you need is a throne. Imagine all the good that you could do right now 
without having to go through the agony of that awful cross. Jesus, you don't want to go through that cross. You don't have to go through that cross. Why not circumvent all that pain and all that suffering and take your rightful place right now? You can have it all right now, Lord. You got no food. You've got no fame. You've got no fortune. But I can offer you all of that because it's mine to give you and I will give it to you. All I ask is a brief bend of your knee. Just one microsecond of you bending your knee and saying, I worship you. Can you imagine? I just still, I can't get it through my mind that he actually hit Jesus with this. But if you'll just give me that little bend of your knee, Lord, then it's over. It's over. And it's all yours. It won't take long. How brazen and how sick that Satan would place such an offer before the eyes of the very one who created everything that he was showing him. This third temptation of Jesus Christ represents our temptations to commit sins that have to do with ambition. Whereas the first temptation was physical and the second temptation was psychological, this third temptation was very spiritual because ambition easily spawns pride, which was the original sin found in Satan himself. Pride is the sin of the spirit. Satan said to himself, I will ascend up into heaven and I will be like the Most High. And it was pride was the first sin that ever stained our universe and Satan is tempting him to move in the realm of pride and promote himself and exalt himself and give in to selfish ambition. We live in an ambitious world. And can I tell you folks that ambition not crucified, ambition not yielded over to the Lordship of Christ causes all kinds of heartache and trouble and pain and bloodshed and tears. This was a temptation to focus only on himself and not on others. And most temptation is selfish. As a matter of fact, the middle letter of sin is I. It's always about you when you're tempted to sin. It's always a temptation to forget the people around you and what it's going to do to them. And take care of yourself. After all, our world teaches us that we are the most important, that it's all about us, that our Godhead is me, myself, and I, not the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It was a temptation. Get what you want, Lord, and forget the lost world. Don't worry about them. Don't even think about them. Right now, if you'll just bend the knee, if you'll just say yes to me, if you'll give me just a little bit of worship... I'll give you everything you've ever dreamed of and that you know is rightfully yours. So the third temptation was an appeal to ambition for power. With James uh, 3.16, James 3, it's easy to remember, John 3.16, James 3.16 talks about selfish ambition, selfish, self-seeking ambition. And it says out of selfish ambition come every evil work. Power is an intoxicating drug. Everybody wants some power. If I were to offer everyone in this room today a little bit more power, you would take it. You'd take it. Everybody likes to have power. Say to one person, do this, another one, do that, and they have to do it because you've got the power. But one man warned, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. 
If we don't have our ambition and our power and our responsibility and our authority under submission to the Lord, it brings all kinds of trouble. It's all yours, said Satan to Jesus. All this power, all these kingdoms will be yours to rule over. You can avoid the hard way God is requiring of you. You can avoid the beating. Think of it, Jesus. You can avoid the rejection, the blood, the sweat, and the tears of the cross. You can let them all go by the wayside. Why go through all of that when you can have it right now? Now let me stop a minute and just look at this temptation. Pick it apart a little bit. Because I see something here. And you're going to see it too. Here's the first thing I see. Satan's traps are hidden in shortcuts. I'm going to say that again. Satan's traps are hidden in shortcuts. Come on, Jesus, he whispered. Take what is rightfully yours now without all that suffering and without all that pain and stress of the cross. I can fast track you to your dreams. Wouldn't you rather get there quickly rather than this hard way that God is requiring of you? This was the offer of a sinister shortcut. Thank God he didn't take it. Because if he had taken it, he would never have gone to the cross. And without the cross, we're not here today. The devil offers shortcuts. Let me tell you why he does. Because he knows we like shortcuts. I'm going to tell you the truth. I love shortcuts. Uh, for the most, point, uh, mo- most part, shortcuts are harmless. For instance, if I can find a shortcut that will get me home faster, I'm there. Especially during rush hour traffic. If you give me a shortcut to get home, I'm there. Or a shortcut to paying off a debt. I'm going to do it as long as it's legal. Give me a shortcut and I'm there. But there are some things that we cannot afford to take a shortcut in. See, the devil was saying to him, Jesus, I'm giving you a shortcut. If you'll just worship me, you can avoid the cross, avoid the pain, avoid all the trouble, and have it all now. It's a shortcut. I have to go down I-35 to get home. And during the week, that is so much fun. Because I usually go home about 5 o'clock. And when I go home at 5 o'clock on I-35, 20 miles that way, past 20 and past 30, I have all kinds of opportunity to grow in grace. I mean, I mean, it, it is a shortcut to the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, I began to notice as I went home around 5-ish, I began to notice, because when you get to near my exit, it's a particularly bad uh, bottleneck. It's a really bad, stopped-up bottleneck. And I began to notice that just before my exit, I began to see several pickup trucks and SUVs and other bigger vehicles got the great idea that instead of sitting there going at a tortoise pace, waving to everybody, taking your time, learning a new foreign language, they were just going to go ahead and get off and go across the median and go across the dirt and through the ditch and onto the service road and zip home waving to all of us smiling. And I began to see them do this more and more and more. And I tell you, I never, how many times did it come to me to say, where are all the police when you need them? How many times I wish that I could become one just for five minutes. 
Day after day, I began to notice that more and more caught on to the idea, more and more bought into it, more and more began to take this shortcut until they had created their own dirt road. The shortcut road. And there it was. And, 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 and I mean, it was well-worn. And this line of them would go off every day. And I used to sit there and say, Lord, judge them. Lord, <laughs> Lord, take care of them. This is against the law. There was a couple of times I was tempted to scoot right behind one of those SUVs and let them lead the way, but I didn't do it. And then one day, as I approached my exit, God answered all my dreams. Because I spotted a big cluster of rotating red lights on the service road. And as I got closer, I saw that all the shortcutters had been pulled over, trapped in a dragnet, and they were all getting ticketed. And I waved and honked and waved. Oh, yeah. And here's what I saw. The devil can make, and it's his job to, he's good at it. He can make illegitimate shortcuts look good at first. They appeal to our flesh. They promise to make things easier. It was so much easier to go across that dirt and get on the service road where there was no traffic and get home 10 minutes quicker than all of us. But the devil's shortcuts always bite you in the end. You always end up ticketed. Don't look at me so holy. I know what's going on. Some of you were on that road. Because some of you are looking at me like, you just, there's a feather sticking out of your mouth. You ate the canary. Shortcuts. Shortcuts can be dangerous. Listen, shortcuts can hinder healthy relationships. Here's a shortcut. We say, well, we don't really need to get married to move in together. Why, why fool with that piece of paper? It's just a piece of paper. We're in love. So let's just move in. And we take a shortcut. But I promise you, that's a shortcut that God can't bless. You'll find it bites you in the end. See, I've learned that when you take the devil's shortcuts, they're never blessed in the end. They look better in the beginning, but they're never blessed in the end. They look good at the start, but they're not blessed at the end. And you're always going to reach the end. There's always going to be a result. There's always going to be an end of the road. There's always going to be a consequence. God can't bless some of the shortcuts we take. Shortcuts at work result in a poor work ethic and can even put us in the unemployment line, taking shortcuts. The dangerous reality is that we're so used to shortcuts and so used to fast-tracking that we have allowed the shortcut fast-track mentality to influence how we do faith and how we do our relationship with God. Shortcuts and spiritual things can be very, very costly. Remember Abraham and Sarah and how long they waited for a child and they got so sick of waiting that one day Sarah said to Abraham, let's take a shortcut. You see Hagar? You can go marry her and produce a child with her, and we're going to get the promised son because we're tired of waiting. And they took a shortcut, and that shortcut brought them endless pain and pain to the entire world until Christ comes again. It's a result of a shortcut. Some shortcuts God can't bless. There are no shortcuts to the things that really matter in life. 
Now, I've lived long enough to see this to be true. The things that are really valuable, that really count, that really matter, there are no shortcuts to them. Let me give you a few. There's no shortcuts to godly character. There's no shortcuts to a rich friendship that blesses you. There's no, no shortcuts to a deep, fulfilling walk with God. No shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. A quick Bible verse pulled out of a promise box you bought at Cracker Barrel on your way out the door cannot be compared to a quality time with God. Nor can watching the televangelist or the teleteacher grow you up like going to church and fellowshipping with God's people can. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but lots of people are going to hear this on the radio, and some of you have been sitting at home too long. Televangelists and teleteacher can only take you so far. You need people with skin on them. A diet of only Christian television, a diet of only Christian television produces Teletubby Christians. Fat, lazy, can't get off of that easy chair and get to church. Listen, Jesus rose from the dead. You can get out of <laughs> Teletubby Christians. Can I tell you something about God? He does not microwave. He marinates. Our God is not a microwave God. We think He is and we wish He would be. Can't you get me from A to Z in a night? Why do I have to go through all this discipleship and seeking God and praying and dealing with the devil and struggling against the flesh? And Why all of this? Because if you didn't go through those things, you would never grow. If you didn't have to fight the enemy, you would never know how to deliver somebody else. If you did not struggle in your faith, your faith will never grow to steel. God is not looking for Teletubby, wimpy Christians in these last days. He wants Christians with spines of steel who can face a Goliath and say, you're coming down. Marinate means to undergo lengthy exposure, to be exposed to something for a long time. Listen, we marinate or we microwave popcorn, but we marinate roast beef. You're not popcorn. You're roast beef. Jesus died for you. And he's going to marinate you in the sauce of faith. He's going to marinate you in waiting on Him and in the presence of the Holy Spirit and going through all kinds of different experiences. We need to remember that we are His ongoing workmanship. Every day that you wake up, God's already decided how He's going to grow you up today. He's already decided what He's going to allow to come your way. He's already decided what part of you He's going to be working on because every day you are His craftsmanship. You are His workmanship. Listen, He's the potter and you're the clay. You're on the spinning wheel and His hands are coming in every day. And He's forming you and shaping you and making you to look like His Son. He liked Jesus so much, He wants millions of Him. Amen? <laughs> Satan, on the other hand, places shortcuts in our path, hoping that we will opt out of achieving God's plan, God's way, 
in God's perfect timing. Why suffer if you don't have to, he whispers. Why die to your flesh? Why wait on God? Why suffer persecution? Why all this suffering? Just take what you want now. You deserve it today. I think Satan's favorite word is now. God's favorite word is wait. Satan pushes. God leads. The devil says, go ahead and climb that ladder of ambition by pushing your way to the top. Step on others on the way up. It's okay. It's a dog-eat-dog world. You've got to get there somehow. The power and the prestige are yours to take. I read about a man who was walking down a farm road one day, a little dirt road, and he saw something he could not believe. What in the world is this? He looked and he thought it can't be true. He drew closer and saw it. And here was a fence post and on top of it a turtle. Doing what a turtle would do on top of a fence post. He comes up and he says to himself, what you and I would say, he can't fly. He didn't fly up here because turtles can't fly. Well, he didn't climb like a lizard because he can't do that. Turtles can't do that. How did this turtle get on this fence post? He puzzled about it all day. Went home, eating dinner with his family. He said, I saw something I couldn't believe today. It was a turtle on a fence post. His son said, was he still there? I put him there this morning. Here's the idea. Flesh climbs and scratches and pushes and claws to get to the top. But we as believers are placed on top by another hand. And we end up in positions where people look and say, how in the world did they get up there? I can answer that. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord is how they got up there. That's how they got up there. An invisible hand came and said, I've called you for this, get up there. And we sometimes ourselves are up there going, I can't believe this. Everybody in this room ought to be a turtle on a fence post. That's God's way. But it's not the devil's way. No, the devil's way is you go ahead and scratch and claw your way up there now. But the problem is when we get there, we're not ready for it. There's nothing wrong with ambition as long as our motives and methods pass the Bible smell test. I'm going to tell you, I've got a lot of ambition. I've always been very ambitious. But I can truthfully tell you, to the best of my ability, it has been crucified ambition. It has been ambition submitted to God. We're on 41 or 42 radio stations throughout the country. Not one of them did I seek out. They all came to me. Listen, I've never looked for a church. I've never looked to make something happen. I pray for things to happen, but I always wait for God to bring it before me and say, this is something I'm going to, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to put you on the fence post. I wait. Now, I've burned with ambition. I have burned with fire to preach the Word. I've been honest with you and told you there was a time in my life when I wanted to preach so bad I went out to the woods and I preached to the squirrels and to the birds and anything. I'm convinced there are saved squirrels out there today because I preached out there. I went out to the woods and lifted up my voice with all of my might because I had to get the Word out of me. There were no people, no doors. Eventually, he opened the door, picked up this turtle, and put me there. 
Ambition is good as long as it's crucified ambition, submitted to the Lord ambition. But Satan will push you into a position before your character is ready for it. God works on your character in the shadows so that when you reach the top, you give Him the glory and it does not go to your head. I've seen people that couldn't handle five minutes of authority without going nuts with pride and arrogance and abusing it. Think Joseph, who spent years in struggle, letdowns, betrayal, and servitude before God promoted him over Egypt. Why the wait? He wasn't ready for it when he first had the dream. It would take years. Think David, who spent a decade in the wilderness learning to trust God's sovereignty and God's protection as Saul sought his life. And after 14 years from the moment Samuel first anointed him, that turtle was picked up and put on his fence post, king over all of Israel. Think Moses, who spent 40 years on the backside of a desert, herding sheep, being humbled by God, getting Egypt out of his soul before he heard the voice calling to him from a bush that was on fire but not consumed. God doesn't fast-track His future movers and shakers. He marinates their faith and their character, preparing them for prime time. You right now are being prepared. You are where you are, but you're not where you're going to be. When Jesus looks at you, He sees what you are, but He also sees what you're going to be. Some of you, if you could see where you're going to be five years from now, you would not believe it. You would say, how did that turtle get up there? Let me tell you something. This church is a turtle on a fence post. And, 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 and let me, God's got his hand on us. And together, we're going to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Not by might or power, but by the Spirit of God. Listen, when Jesus looks at you, he sees what God has destined you to be. Not what people tell you you are. Some of you, you had parents that said, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're not going to amount to anything. That was a lie. Satan was using them. Some of you have had employers that said, you're no good. You don't have any talent. You're never going to get anywhere. That was a lie. Because God doesn't make junk. God has created you, fashioned you. You are fearfully and wonderfully created by God for a purpose and a design. And not just for heaven, but for something on this earth. And right now you're being marinated in the sauce of faith and in the sauce of waiting on God and in the sauce of the Holy Spirit. You're being marinated. But the day is going to come when God says, come up hither. I've got something for you to do. And you're going to do it. And it's going to shake the corridors of hell because you have been prepared for this hour. You say, I don't believe that. I don't care if you don't believe it. It's true. So I got too many troubles for God to ever do anything with me. Oh, friend, he majors in troubles. He uses troubles. Those troubles are his wrench and his screwdriver. Those troubles are his saw. Those troubles are his hatchet. Those, those troubles are his tools to make you what he's called you to be. Now back to the third temptation. Satan said, just bow down and worship me and you can have it all. What a hellish voice. Jesus knew that the devil was trying to keep him from the cross. One time he said to his disciples, for this very purpose, 
the cross. I came to this hour. That's why my soul is troubled. And shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, the cross, I came to this hour. He was born to die on the cross. The devil is sitting there trying to get him to take a shortcut and circumvent the cross. If he had circumvented the cross, we're all lost. We're not here. There is no church. Jesus came to die in our place on that cross. And when he stretched out his arms and feet and they nailed him to that tree, you and I were there. We were part of what crucified him because our sin crucified him. That blood ran down the old wooden cross and it was Satan's worst nightmare. It was his undoing. It was his ruination. With that blood, Jesus undid death and undid hell and undid the grave. And what I love is this. The Bible tells us that at the end of time, near, close, we're almost there. A great angel is going to sound a trumpet and proclaim these words, quote, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Do you hear that? The very thing Satan offered to Jesus illegitimately will ultimately become His within the timing and the framework of God's will because He refused the shortcut. So now He gets to be our Savior and still gets to be Lord of lords and King of kings over all the nations of the earth. So do you see that what Satan tempts you to take a shortcut to get, God will give you legitimately if you wait on Him. Are you being tempted to take a shortcut today? Wouldn't you like to be there with Jesus when He said, Away with you, Satan! It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And I can picture God walking into the ring and holding up Jesus' right hand and saying, Winner! You win the fight! Are you being tempted to take a shortcut today? Can we stand together? I've taken shortcuts before. How many of you can say, I've, I've taken, I know that shortcut route. Now, how many of you can say with me, I got ticketed? <laughs> right? I got ticketed. I'd rather receive a crown than a ticket. Amen? Say with me, no cross, no crown. If you want the crown, you go by way of the cross. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to die to yourself. The cross. Pick up that cross and follow me and you'll get the crown. He that will save his life, get the crown without the cross, will lose it. He that will lose his life for my sake, take the cross, will find it, will get the crown. With our heads bowed, I want to pray for you for a moment because I, I, I preach these messages and I share them with you because I know this is real life. Some of you are being faced with a shortcut, presented a shortcut, and the devil's making that shortcut look real good. But if you know the word, can't agree with it. 
and you know that you lose your peace over it, then you know that it's not God's way. But I want to pray that He graces you at that fork in the road. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm struggling with a shortcut, something being offered to me, and I'm like Jesus was. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm a little bit beat up, and I need God's grace. Can I see your hand? All over this place. I don't want to take that shortcut. Many of you. I want to pray for you right where you are. Father, grace this precious people. I've been there and I've made the mistake of taking a shortcut, Lord, and was ticketed. I know, Lord, your way is the best way. So I pray you will grace them to stay with faithfulness, patience, obedience, and just steady spiritual growth. That's the way of the kingdom. Can everybody say with me, faithfulness, patience, obedience, and steady spiritual growth. I told the first service, I'd rather you be steady Eddie than a shooting star. I've seen too many shooting stars. I like steady Eddie. Amen? Now with your heads bowed a moment longer, some of you are looking for a church home. You know the Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord. Planted, not those that visit, but those that are planted in the house of the Lord. Shall flourish, grow with explosive growth in the courts of our King. I know what it is to look for a church home. It's, it's hard. And I want to pray for you if you're in that position. You're looking, you're saying, God, where are we to be? Where's our home? Where's our family? Show us where to settle. If that's you, would you raise your hand and let me see you today? Many of you. And some of you feel like, well, this is my home. This is the place where God wants me to be. And I feel a peace about it. Can I see your hand? Just put them up real high. Do you feel like this is going to be your church home? I'm going to ask you, if, you can, if you're praying about it, or if you know this is where you're going to land, I want you to let me pray for you. I felt impressed about this on my way to church, and I want to obey the Lord. So if you raise your hand, would you slip down and let me pray for you? This is very important because the Bible says God places people. He places people as the Spirit sees fit. So if you raise your hand, I want you to come down and let me pray for you. In Jesus' name. And while they're coming, let me tell you that next Sunday at 11 o'clock, we're going to be offering a one-time, one-hour class called Membership 101. And if you have any questions about our church, if you want to know what we believe, if you want to quiz us, then I invite you to come to that Membership 101 next Sunday at 11 o'clock right across the hall in the Fellowship Hall. But look at all these people. Wow. And they're just still coming. You keep coming. And you know, Jesus looked at the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says his heart was moved with compassion. God wants you to have a home. 
Some of you have been hurt in the church. And you're here going, boy, I'll tell you, it's going to take some courage for me to join a church. Do it anyway. Get somewhere anyway. I've been there. I've been shredded by a local church. But I had to say, they're not worth me losing my destiny. So I went ahead and got involved again. So I want to pray for you. And then as soon as we're done, I don't know, can you fit all these people back there? You're going to have to somehow. So I'm going to ask, as soon as I pray, I, I just want to give you something. And some of you may want to join the church today. You can do that. But this man, raise your hand, Jim, is going to help you. And I need someone else to go back there with Jim. Just somebody help him. Ed, you, all right, and Sherry, okay. And they're going to give you something to take home and read. And I encourage you, go to that class next Sunday, 11 o'clock, right across the way. And then you can join after that. But I want to pray for you. Father, I give you these precious people. They're coming from every background, every denomination, every kind of experience. I pray that you'll lead them and give them a home. Lord, as a shepherd under you, I feel compassion, Lord. They need a home. They need a family. They need a shepherd. They need the word of God. They need to settle. They need to be planted. I pray that the Holy Spirit will literally set them in where you have called them to be supernaturally. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.